finances, investing, estate and retirement planning? Well, I went to school so you don't have to. Welcome to Finances and with Kathy and Jennifer. Welcome to Finances and Poverty and Prosperity. Today, we wanted to cover the challenges that poverty and prosperity play in our relationship with money. How poverty or prosperity is a detriment to your current relationship with money. How you saw your family handle money will affect your relationship with money as an adult and how to break that cycle going forward. Sarah Newcomb has a book called Loaded, Money, Psychology, and How to Get Ahead Without Leaving Your Values Behind. In that book, she states, our experiences with lack of money or wealth can shape our personal narratives, stating how having or not having money affects other parts of our minds and how we have been exposed to money affects how we manage or mismanage our money. When there's not enough money for our daily needs, studies show that depression, relationship troubles, lower performance on difficult tasks, and even a shorter lifespan are common outcomes. Even thinking about money can cause antisocial behavior in some people and can reduce their ability to feel compassion. Sadly, those who live without financial security are going to experience negative effects on both their mind and body. Financial insecurity can be caused by many underlying factors, starting with stress. Add in a little pandemic and the results can be devastating. The American Psychology Association finds the potential long-term consequences of persistent stress and trauma is especially serious for 13 to 23-year-olds as they are facing unprecedented levels of stress and symptoms of depression. And 64% of Americans say money is a significant source of stress. What we can see from that is more than half of the people at 64% around you are losing sleep over financial stressors. Is that you? The Mayo Clinic writes that chronic stress puts you at risk for anxiety, depression, heart disease, digestive issues, sleep problems, weight gain, and impairment of memory and concentration. This means that financial stress can lead to death. Now consider that low-income people don't go to doctors as often to be able to treat those things and that they frequently get lower-quality health care. Poor neighborhoods often have more fast-food restaurants, more pollution, and fewer grocery stores, and these are known as poverty traps. Depression can be caused by financial stress, which can lead to not managing finance as well and a cycle that can become really impossible to get out of. Relationship strain is a natural follow on these economic hardships. Dr. Britt of Kansas State University states that couples' arguments about money tend to be longer, more intense, and involve harsher language than other arguments. So it's not surprising that money can be a common cause for divorce. Stereotype threats are what is feared when you're worried that you'll be judged because of negative stereotypes. For an example, when women believe that they're not as good at math as men, then these stereotypes actually cause women to do worse on tasks that have to do with math. It reminds them of that stereotype. And sadly, people from all walks of life carry these same beliefs and hold negative bias against the poor, which actually causes additional strain on the mental resources of those struggling. And it causes them to work harder to perform at the same level as non-stereotyped peers. There are also negative consequences from our defense mechanisms. People actually cause their own failures by blaming themselves for their failures. It's not uncommon to assume that you're inadequate rather than stepping back to see that fear or making choices causes the undermining of your confidence and self-esteem. 
It's a process of self-handicapping and finding ways to fail so that if you fail, you feel like it was going to happen anyway. Sometimes people use task discounting to make the goal not as important, so it won't hurt as much when it doesn't happen. They may start out before a job search, for instance, stating, oh, it's not a great job anyway, or try to get into a college by saying, it's not that important. It ends up being self-fulfilling and keeps failure from hurting as much. You can imagine that if you're trying, for example, with your college example, that if you're trying to get in college and while you're doing it, you keep saying to yourself, college isn't important, college isn't important. Whether it is or isn't important to you, just by saying that, you're kind of setting yourself up so that if you don't make it into the school you want to, then it's easy to go, yeah, I never thought it was important anyways. So it's just a self-defense mechanism. Yeah. Social shaming is another way that some groups keep other people from moving out of poverty. The stigma of being one of the higher incomes is feared by some people. And then due to that, that fear of being judged, they choose to stay as a low income earner. Dr. Ted Klontz stresses how an uncle of his was treated poorly by his family because they believed since he started making money, he must have taken advantage of others to be able to make this income. They actually created a message within that family saying that being rich was an embarrassment to his family. This same stigma can be seen in those who feel the need to speak in a local accent when returning to their family so that they're seen as being the same and not trying to be better than anyone else. It's called code switching, and it helps people cope with the social pressure they might feel when they get home. Unfortunately, having money also comes with psychological consequences. One is that since someone has been raised in a middle or upper class home, they tend to believe they have a stronger sense of control in most aspects of their lives than others. Sadly, research has found these same people are less likely to be willing to help others. We're not saying they never reach out to help, but it's not as standard a feeling as it should be. Another example of privilege is from Dr. Paul Piff at the University of California at Berkeley. He created a test where students were playing a shorter version of Monopoly, where one player had an obvious advantage to their opponent. For example, they were given more money at the start of the game and they were allowed double rolls or the opponent had a single roll. And still the player, given that advantage, who complained when the game began that they had this advantage, actually got louder and more aggressive throughout the game, even though they knew the game was fixed. They started to believe that their skills and effort were part of the reason that they were winning the game. Another challenge is that those who have privilege make the error of believing that everyone has the same circumstances. This system justification states that people want to hold favorable attitudes about themselves, their groups, and social order. However, those who struggle with money are stereotyped not just by others, but by themselves as well. People want to believe in fairness, but since inequity around us is obvious, it is rationalized as deserved or self-inflicted. Money can have both a positive and negative effect on people. Many people work harder, longer, and it actually can make them work alone because not only does money make people want to be self-reliant, but also in some cases, it makes them not want other people to be dependent on them. And this can be done even unconsciously. How do we avoid these self-defeating ideas? Well, start with finding ways to be calm. The opposite of stress is finding ways to compete with the health problems caused by it. So using therapy, meditation, breathing exercises, spiritual resources, healthy eating and exercise, these can all help reduce stress. Once you have taken control of your stress levels, you can tackle your relationship with money and reduce conflict where it challenges you. 
you should make a spending plan. We come back to that all the time. I I personally don't like the word budget because I think it has a limiting connotation, even though what it is as a budget is beautiful. The work that it takes to do the simplest things we can do for our own personal financial goals is what this spending plan will help us with. It's not easy to do. So coming up with a spending plan and sticking with it is not easy to do because nothing that betters us is. However, the small amount of work that you'll put into it now, the more secure you'll be in retirement. And as a reward, you're going to find yourself not having to work into your 70s and 80s. Take the time to write your goals, whatever they are, in a place that you can see them and be reminded of them. You know, I even use a dry erase marker to write on my bathroom mirror positive affirmations or goals that I want to achieve. And it's right there every morning, every night. It's it's there for me to see. I've taken to writing my goals in my in my notes section on my phone because it's there and it's it's always there and it stays there. So I can actually look back over the years and see it there. So that's just a convenient place for me that I I have my goals now. And you, you can see a pattern then because you can see it over time versus what I'm doing. Sure. Mm-hmm. The Journal of Marketing Research published a study where undergrads were asked to think about something they planned on saving for within a month. Half were asked to set a dollar amount and the other half to save as much as they could. So there were two groups of people, people who were considered big picture people where they didn't get into the weeds and look at the small details and then small picture people who did look at those details all the time. So it seems that those who set goals that were in contrast to their normal thinking, for example, if you were a, a big picture kind of a person, they asked them to set specific goals versus these big picture goals versus I want to get a car, I want to get a Honda Accord. So it was very specific where people that often were those small details type of personality, they asked them to come up with big ideas that they were saving for a vehicle or a house, not quite as specific. And those people who did the opposite of how they normally plan for things were far more successful than their peers who did their budgeting in the same way. So if I was big picture and I just said, I want to get a car, I wouldn't be as successful as Jennifer, who's big picture, but had a very specific vehicle she was trying to save for. And this shows that making a change in how you normally think about money may be just the push that you need for your future self if you want to be better with your finances. Hmm. So not necessarily a one size fits all sort of thing, but just kind of do the opposite of what you would normally do and, and try that. Play with it. Again, if, if what you've been doing hasn't been successful, try something else. Hey, right? Good advice. Thanks. <laughs> Again, we really relied on Sarah Newcomb's book, Loaded Money, Psychology and How to Get Ahead Without Leaving Your Values Behind. It was such an easy read and it had so many great ideas. I just cannot suggest getting it enough. Mine is covered with underlining and notes in the margins. Anything else? That's all for this week. Thanks for listening to Finances and Poverty and Prosperity. We know you chose to listen and we're grateful. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and share and consider leaving a review because it helps us bring financial education to others and lets them find us more easily. Please let us know what questions you would like us to answer by going onto our website at financesand.net. And now you can find infographics on these topics here in the show notes and at our website. Finances and does not provide tax or legal advice and nothing in this podcast is to be construed as such. Always consult a tax, accounting, or legal professional for advice on your specific situation. Remember, I went to school so you don't have to. 